Hello everybody, I'm Matt Mikuchi and you are listening to Jazz's Travel. I wish I could go traveling again. It feels like this summer will never end. And I've had such good offers from several of my friends. I wish I could go traveling again. I wish I could go traveling. I want to sit in my shade, sipping my latte beneath the awning of a famous cafe. With our luggage gone astray I wish I could go traveling again Hello everybody, Jazz is online editor Matt Mikuchi here, welcoming you to a new episode of Jazz is Travel, our weekly podcast series of globetrotting conversations with or about amazing artists, exploring the music of various cultures and traditions, the jazz scenes of different parts of the world, and the concept of travel at large. Vocalist Stacy Kent joins us on this special episode of Jazz is Travel with her partner in life and music, saxophonist composer Jim Tomlinson, to talk about her latest collection of piano duets recorded during the lockdown, Songs from Other Places. The album features Kent alongside pianist Art Irihara and three original pieces written by novelist Kazuo Ishiguro with music by Tomlinson. The song we opened the podcast with is the opening track from the record I Wish I Could Go Traveling Again, which sets the theme for the album and this latest episode of Jazz Is Travel. So, fire up an audio teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. Here are Stacey Kent and Jim Tomlinson. Go traveling again But how can I ever go traveling again when I know I'll just keep remembering again when I know I'll just be gathering Stacy Jim welcome to Jazz's Travel Thanks a lot great to be here Yeah uh, so it's a real pleasure to speak with you. I- I'm uh, actually pleasantly surprised that I get to speak with both of you. Uh, it's great that we were able to make that happen. Uh, what part of the world are you speaking to us from right now? We are just outside of Charlottesville, Virginia, where we moved uh, not so long ago. So we're in a pretty brand new spot. Wow. What, it, what has life been uh, like there so far? Well, it's been fantastic. We're, every day is new, but this is so different from what we're used to because we've moved... 2,000 miles uh, away from what was home for many, many years, a couple of decades, we were in high altitude Rocky Mountains in the middle of nowhere. And so we're still pretty rural here, but uh, 2,000 miles between Colorado and Virginia is quite different. So yeah. this is a completely new adventure for us. And we're having a different uh, different experience of the seasons. Ironically, we, we just had five days of power outage the, oh <laughs> my because of snow, which because we never a, had in Colorado. Big snow. 
but Virginia doesn't know how to handle snow mm-hmm. quite the way Colorado does. So uh, it turned everything upside down. But, you know, this is all part of the adventure for us here. So we're enjoying yeah. it. Yep. Oh, it sure sounds like an adventure. Yeah. Well, uh, to paraphrase, uh, in a way, the title of your album, I'm in a completely different place. <laughs> I'm in the west of Ireland. Uh, we don't get many different seasons around here. It rains most of the time. So it's actually a nice day today. So maybe it has something to do with the fact that we, I'm, uh, I get to uh, speak with you guys. But it is the first time that we talk. So what I like to do for these uh, for these podcasts um, conversations is that I kind of just start off by asking a very simple, a little bit of an icebreaker question because everyone has their own personal histories and backgrounds and I'm always very curious. So I'd like to ask both of you, do you remember when it was that music entered your life in a significant way and what your earliest memory, uh, your earliest musical memory is? Yeah, for me, I would say that the memories aren't very specific in um, terms of I was sitting here and I heard that. That did happen to me later on as a teenager. I have very specific memories. But very early on, my memories are more general. My mother played piano and would play a lot of Chopin and I would sit under the piano and just take it all in, not only the music, but the vibration from the piano itself. And I was tiny, so I think I was very connected to a musical world without uh, realizing that I was, well, I suppose I could put it, that I was putting in work without even realizing it. It was just something that swept me away. I would also stand in the front hall nearby to where she would play the piano. Um, This would be on a different occasion, let's say. And I would take things and wave them in front of my mouth, like uh, an LP or a book. And I would listen to the change in the acoustic because it was a big tile hallway. And I loved the sound that it would make. And I would play around with the sound in that room by just singing with this waving in front of my mouth. And then let's say move into the smaller cubicle like the bathroom nearby that hall and listen to the sound differently in there as I would sing. And so I think these were things that just grabbed me uh, from my very earliest days um, because sound enthralled me. Uh, lastly, I would go to the movies with my family. We were a bit big movie-loving household. And we'd go to the movies, and there would be incidental music, of course, in every movie. And I would come home and sit at the piano and plonk down the tune that I could remember um, and pick out whatever I could uh, retain. So it wasn't a musical family per se in that there were no professional musicians, but it was musical in that it was always in the house. And um, I just jumped on board. And uh, Jim, was it the same for you? Did you also come from a, a family or was there always music in your house, so to speak? Uh, not so much. The uh, For me, it's music's always been something I responded to. And I remember as a as a little kid, I would be wheeled out at parties to sing whatever novelty <laughs> song I was getting a kick out of singing at the time. Um, when, uh, when I moved from the Midlands in England, where I kicked off, um, up to the north of England. I Don't ask me why, but I wanted to join the uh, the local abbey choir, and I became a chorister. Um, 
I started playing clarinet at school simply because it was offered and it was available. Um, but I guess the turning point for me in terms of getting really switched on to music was I uh, switched or added saxophone to the repertoire of clarinet uh, as the, among the instruments I played. And uh, I had something of a road to Damascus uh conversion to jazz. I I worked weekends at a restaurant where um, the background music that they played was essentially just um, Mozart piano concertos. They had all of the Deutsche Grammophon and albums with their white and yellow spines. And when we would sit down after an evening's work, um, I would be sent to put on a record and uh, so I went down to choose records and there was one spine that was not white and yellow. Uh, and I pulled it out by out of curiosity and it turned out to be Charlie Parker's bird symbols. And I thought, okay, I play the saxophone. Um, this, this is a saxophone <laughs> player. I put that on and, uh, and the opening strains of Bird of Paradise came over the, over the speakers and it was like, I was, what is this? Right. And uh, and after that, I just became uh, I became hooked. Yeah, it's not it's not uh, the easiest thing, right? Uh, playing Charlie Parker the first time. No, but you know, it, Parker is so kind of lyrical. You know, for all of his kind of florid uh, virtuosity, there's also a very kind of strong lyrical vein in it. And I think if you kind of respond to melody, it's hard not to respond to Parker. Stacy, I also wanted to ask you, um, you were born in South Orange, New Jersey, right? Yes. And I don't know much about this, uh, this place, but uh, what was it like to grow up there? What's it like over there? Perfectly honest, Matt, I don't have that very many um, strong memories about okay. my earliest childhood. Uh, I just know that I felt like I didn't really belong and I didn't really belong there. One of the things that I do remember is that I kept saying to my family, you know, I'm a mountain person. I belong in the mountains. And sure enough, as soon as I was an adult and I had my own uh, purse, uh, I upped and left. I went to college in the East, but then I upped and left and bought a house in Colorado and moved to the Rockies because that felt much more me. So um, wow. that's really all I can say. Well, I it's funny that you're saying that because while I was listening to this album in particular, because so much of it seems to be about uh, traveling and different places, uh, I imagined that maybe you uh, would have been fantasizing about visiting these faraway places uh, one day. You know what? You just uh, sparked a, a whole flow of memories for me. Um, if we're going to uh, try and go back in there again. Yes, sure. that is very much the case. My grandfather grew up in France and he and I spent a lot of time together uh, during my childhood. And I think he was the one who really gave me the, the Wanderlust. Um, I wanted to go out and see the world and feel part of the world. My roots were in the mountains because I feel very connected to Mother Nature, which is something else that we can talk about because it's why I choose the repertoire that I tend to to veer towards all the time. But um, I think that, yes, I wanted to be part of the world. And maybe had I not become a, a singer and a touring musician, um, perhaps I would have chosen another path that had me uh, travel and be part of the world anyway. So, yeah, that is a very a big part of the story. Right. And and of course, part of the reason as well, uh, 
that I thought that was because in this record we hear different languages. And so I wondered whether that also is something that you uh, maybe got into doing early in life too, learning different languages aside from Absolutely. It, the, the, the languages did not come along simply because I was a singer and I wanted to sing in these different languages. Right. That flows very naturally out of my childhood because my grandfather wanted to stay connected to his home in France. And so he taught me to speak French and taught me a lot about French music and poetry and film from his roots. And so I grew up listening to Léo Ferré and Michel Legrand and all of these uh, giants from France and from Europe that I wouldn't have otherwise heard had I not been exposed as a child. And so when I did start to sing, it came very naturally to me uh, to sing in these languages because French was the second language in my house. Because of my grandfather, I think that that set me on the path to becoming a language and literature student. So before I became a musician, that's what I studied in college. I studied French and German and Latin and Italian. And then after that came Portuguese. So language was my uh, foundation before yeah. I found my path to music. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I, I didn't know that. I did know that uh, you you eventually studied music in, in London. Um, and that's actually where you guys met, right? Exactly. And this is very much about the the beginnings of, of Jim's and my story as a as a pair um, have have their roots in London uh, and a lot of coincidence that just flowed in front of us at that time um, in the early 90s. I left New York where I had got my degree and I went to Germany to start my master's and I ended up in England. It's a whole long story that I won't go into, but I ended up in England visiting some friends um, and I ended up applying for a postgraduate course at the Guildhall School of Music in London, really just on a whim. I wasn't expecting to get in because I didn't do an undergrad degree in music, uh, but they did accept me. At the same time, Jim was uh, a PPE student at Oxford, which is philosophy, politics, and economics. And he ended up on this one-year postgrad course just for the fun of it too, because as you know, his earlier story, he was a, a clarinetist and a saxophone player. And we ended up on the same course we did this one-year postgrad course. We fell in love at first sight, um, and we looked for any excuse to spend time together. And so our musical path really started because of this romance um, in our college years. And uh, did, were you also playing together at uh, jazz venues around uh, London? Of course, you know, the London jazz scene or the music scene in general is so legendary. Was that also an important setting for this blooming romance? <laughs> well, yes, because um, what happened was when you're on a postgrad course at a college, anybody listening in will know this, there are a lot of institutions who will call on that school looking for students to come and play at an event, to come and entertain at their party as background music. And so Jim and I were getting all of these calls while we were at the Guildhall to come and play at the British Telecom Tower and to play at the Natural History Museum and loads and loads of places. And wow. so we were really paying our dues, playing lots of gigs and falling in love and learning our repertoire and doing lots of work, um, not really thinking about the future. You know, when you're a kid, you're in your 20s, you don't really know what your path is. Some people know what their path is. We were really just messing around in those days. I don't think we got terribly serious 
about this being a career. Why is that, though? Well, I think because in that state, at that stage, it was sort of unbelievable. Jim was on a different path, a more academic path. So was I. Listen, sometimes things about your own life you know internally before you actually know consciously, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think we were paying those dues and we were putting in the work and we were just loving it and loving playing together. But I think for me in particular, I came from such a different kind of a family. I don't think I believed that this sort of thing happened. Um, So I wasn't making any plans. I was just living and loving what I was doing. And the job offers kept coming in. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until... At the Guildhall, we made a demo and we weren't very hungry or looking for a ton of work or anything. We only sent it out to three different people and all three of those people led to paths which really turned into something. They were, one, we sent the demo to Humphrey Littleton, who was a broadcaster at the BBC at the time, and he played our demo on the air and gave us a national playing throughout the UK. And that really led to a lot of work, actual work rather than just the private party work. Um, we sent it to a gentleman who was working at Polygram, who gave the demo to Richard Longcrane, who was the director, making the film Richard III with Ian McKellen back in the mid-90s. And they put me in the film uh, just from this demo. Uh, and Jim ended up being in the orchestra playing behind me in that film, Richard III. And the third one was to Candid Records, um, and the person who owned Candid Records at the time came and saw me singing at a little cafe called Cafe Bohème on Frith Street around the corner from Ronnie Scott's, and uh, he offered me a record contract. So those three demos all led to things which really put us on the path, and I think at that point we must have just looked at each other and said, I guess this is happening. But at the time... You know, I was abroad and I wasn't planning on staying abroad. I kept, I I, I more or less had a suitcase at the door thinking, next year I'll go home. Next year I'll go home. Um, I was already working towards my master's. You can hang on to your master's credits for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I'll go back and do my master's at some point. And then, you know, Jim and I, it was so obvious that we were together, meant to be together Um, we got married in secret at that time because our parents hadn't met and we just decided to get married. And I think that's when we got serious and thought, okay, well, we're married and this is our career and this is our path and here we go. Singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly All your life You were only waiting for this moment to arise Singing in the dead of night Take these sunken eyes and learn to see All your life 
only waiting for this moment to be free. Blackbird fly, blackbird fly into the light of the dark black night. The track you are hearing just now is Stacy Kent's take on the Beatles' classic song "Blackbird." The sole arrangement by pianist Art Hirihara from the record. All of the tracks are arranged by Jim Tomlinson. Blackbird is also one of the tracks from Stacey Kent's latest album, Songs from Other Places, released last year and available now. Stay tuned for the second part of our conversation with Stacey Kent and Jim Tomlinson. of those days a lot of dues playing you know most musicians who were starting out it's um you're just uh you're young and you're trying to learn your craft and at the same time as figuring out how to pay the rent so yeah. um you know you end up uh you play a lot of uh little gigs in cafes and so on which to be honest are some of the most fun gigs to play you know you just uh plonk yourself down with uh with a guitarist or pianist and blow through some tunes and have a good time and try to bring everyone along with you and you teach and uh you do all those things but um it's uh it's really i think the progress of our career or the way we kind of got into it is has been like a snowball you know it's been a gradual accumulation of um experiences and milestones it's it doesn't feel like there was ever a sort of moment of explosion or arrival it's just you know we've we've um we've hiked up the we are hiking up the mountain as it were you know no uh, i agree with you i mean i think it's i think we've really been very lucky very fortunate in how the progression turned out. In what I really want to say is that um, you know some people things happen in that explosive way. Uh, you know, it's a bit cliche, but you know, from the movies, you know, hey kid, I'm going to make you a star, that sort of thing. For us, we did pay those dues, but along the way, you know, we have these memories that Jim and I talk about sometimes of us sitting on the second floor of the double-decker buses in London, falling in love, singing a million songs, learning songs together. And then we did get those three quote-unquote breaks. And then one thing led to another. Somebody saw us play at the 606 and we went to Sweden for a month to tour. And, you know, it, it really was a one thing led to another sort of path. And and to go back what I just said about the progression is when something happens to you very young, you can pinch yourself and maybe wonder, you know, do I deserve to be here? Should I be here? Um, I think we've enjoyed our path because it kept us very grounded. We were always working to grow and not just in terms of our career, but in terms of being musicians, we were always looking to do better, play better, learn. And to this day, we think in those terms, you know, sure. I'm singing at this, in this way, uh, here in my 50s and I hope that you know in 10 years from now I 
turn out to be a better singer than I am now. Mm. And um, the the growth is very important to us and the being grounded is very important to us, even though really great things have happened along the way. I mean, we've been fortunate enough to play in over 55 countries and tour the world and share our music and the record sales are good and all the career stuff is really good. But I don't think we've ever really just had that as our goal. Right. No, and I think there's also, there are kind of, there's in terms of building yourself as an artist and building a career, there, there, there are kind of two sides. One is the personal responsibility side, which is to be the best you can be and be the best prepared you can be when opportunities arise. And then there's basically a luck side, which is basically that, you know, you want to be a luck, lucky enough to be available when the opportunity arises, yeah. you know, or to for those opportunity to arise as chance encounters lead to wonderful things. We've had a lot of chance encounters. I mean, this is the thing when Jim said about, you know, the availability, it really struck us as being remarkable when we were starting out just how many calls we were getting. We had no idea that that would or could happen, but people from different countries kept calling on us. And for some reason, you know, I think we were very true to what it was that we wanted to do. And people kept seeking us out. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, in terms of promoters, but I also mean in terms of other musicians who wanted to play with us. That still strikes us as being um, amazing. You know, I read this Sonny Rollins quote that I pulled up today because I just read it um, yesterday and I, I thought it was really wonderful. And he said, it's not about your music. It's about what makes your music your music. You have to have a reason for your music, something besides the technical. Make it for something. Make it for kindness. Make it for peace. Whatever it is, you know what I mean? I thought that was so beautiful because I think we've always been really compelled to create a particular universe. Um, and the way in which people responded to us along the way has really fueled us because people responded, we just wanted to do what we wanted to do. You make the music for you, but at the same time, you're making it, you have a statement. Um, I loved it. Make it for kindness. Make it for peace. I think that we always really responded to how people said the music made them feel, our music made them feel. And so that was a real driving force to where we are today. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. It's a great quote. And it kind of uh, rem- recalls something uh, that you know, I kind of was thinking about as well uh, while I was listening to this album, uh, and I was going to ask you uh, when you interpret these songs, do you look for a personal connection, and is that always is that ever a challenge? I'm a really emotional person, but I'm not a terribly dramatic person, mm. and so I think I've always veered towards and been inspired by the music and musicians, not just singers, but instrumentalists and and composers who express themselves in that way. I mean, I love a a whole lot of music that does inspire me and fuel me, but I think they're the people who I gravitate towards the most. Um, Like, let's say, Joao Gilberto, uh, who I learned so much from in that I felt like I was allowed to be, I was able to be as emotionally intense as I am while still remaining so quiet. I think in terms of answering your question, I've always let it, 
happen very naturally to me. Um, I don't find it difficult, if I'm honest with you, because I feel like I'm so connected to the lyric, I'm so connected to the song, that I, I close my eyes and I find the whole experience so visual, it's so cinematic. I close my eyes and I'm within that song. Now, when it comes to the, the practice and the technique to get to that place, you know, there are lots of things I do to strip myself away from the song. For example, you know, I'll work on my um, progression through a song by um, working on the vowel shapes so that I can make sure that I like how I'm forming things and I sing it the best way that I can. But once I'm um, in the song and I'm performing the song, I don't want to think about that side at all. I want to just be inside my story. I think one of the things that I would say I feel pleased about or proud of is that, you know, I know myself very well. I know how to choose repertoire that suits me. Uh, you know, I, I often say this and I, I liken it to somebody who's got a very good style and they know just how to dress themselves. You know, they can see something that looks absolutely gorgeous on a mannequin, but they know that it wouldn't suit them. Um, they would pick uh, a blue instead of a yellow, you know, knowing their own coloring, that sort of thing. That's how I would put it with me in terms of my music and in terms of my sensibility. And I think Jim is very much the same way. I think we know how to, even in spite of lots of other things fueling us, lots of other things inspiring us that we listen to and we learn from, um, the way in which we play is from a very self-understood place, if you know what I mean. I think, I think the other thing I'd add to that is if, if I look at our repertoire and the way songs enter into the repertoire and what falls out or what remains over the longer term, um, the repertoire that for us kind of stands the test of time it, are the songs where the lyrics resonate the most strongly um, with the way we approach our music. Um, and that also kind of feeds into my approach to songwriting and the, the lyricists with whom I work always go first. I'm, when I'm writing songs with my lyricists, I'm, I say always, but generally I am setting words to music. And, you know, the lyric has to kind of drive the music as opposed to the other way around. That's interesting. Uh, let's talk about that, actually, because here on this record, uh, Songs from Other Places, uh, you collaborate again with uh, Kazuo Ishiguro. I love the lyrics to uh, these songs, and uh, in particular, um, the one that resonated with me because of the times that we are living in, I guess, and probably resonates with listeners, uh, again, for the same reason, uh, is I Wish I Could Go Travelling Again, which opens the record. I loved it because, like I said, um, of the times of the pandemic, uh, I would be one of the, those people who travels a lot for work and also because that's just the way I, I've kind of uh, programmed myself to, to live. But um, there's also a timelessness about lines like, um, you know, I want to sit in my sh uh, shade, sip in my latte uh, beneath the awning of a famous cafe, jet lagged and with our luggage gone astray. That's a wonderful lyric. It almost calls to mind something that would have been written by Cole Porter. It's an essence of life that uh, I feel is very, very timeless. And so from what you're saying, Jim, is the words come first. 
Yeah, absolutely. And one of the one of the wonderful things about Ishiguro's lyrics is that the way it, it it's almost like a trick of the light, you know, that he's able to take an experience which is kind of common, you know, in a sense it's something that we can all if we haven't experienced it personally, we can imagine it at least. But he kind of casts it in a, in a light which makes it appear kind of magical and weaves it into a bigger picture about the meaning of life and the meaning of experience and so exactly. um, I, th- I think that um, two things spring to mind here um, Ishiguro always writes a lyric that allows me to feel like I'm on a search the protagonist is always searching for something you know and that is sometimes it's very you don't know what it is but there's just something kind of missing. And it's so much fun to go chasing it. And I think that those songs in particular, um, that one really spells it out. I wish I could go traveling again. But even the other two on the album, you feel this sense of frustration and needing to chase something and needing to figure something out and needing to, to go and, and figure yourself out. Um, and I think that the songs, whether directly or indirectly or obliquely, uh, always have that element. And I think that that's why they appeal to us and appeal to listeners so, so much of the time. It's so playful in that sense of missing. And, and that's why I think that they were so good to record. Well, I would say anytime because we've been working with Ishiguro since 2006. And in fact, uh, just today we received, uh, three new lyrics from him. So the, the story between the three of us goes on and on and on. But uh, in particular during the pandemic, and that really was an important recording to have made over those last two years, uh, those songs were so, uh, such an anchor to right. that whole project. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to go back to something that you said earlier, uh, Stacy. You said that you uh, would consider yourself emotional, but not dramatic. Um and I think that uh, that's very interesting what you said because to me uh emotion is way more profound than being dramatic would be because being dramatic to me would be almost superficial in a sense compared to true emotion for some reason it also brought to my mind uh, John Cassavetes because that's I think he said something along those lines I'm also a cinephile so <laughs> that's uh, that's kind of why I guess it brought that to my mind and when it comes to the vo- the human voice I find that maybe nowadays the tendency perhaps not necessarily in jazz music as such but in a lot of the music that we hear is to kind of move away from emotion. Is that just my impression, or do you find that there's some truth to that? That is so interesting that you've said that. There's so much to respond to in what you just said, and I love <laughs> that you said that about Cassavetes, by the way, because the the thing about me and Jim and Ishiguro, uh, the three of us spend a lot of time talking about, that's one of the things we talked about this morning uh, in an email, talking about cinema, it's something that really uh, influences us uh, on so many levels, and there's so much to say here. Um, you know, it's very interesting how the world has come to uh, see emotion and interpret, and I'm not entirely sure, I'd like to spend some time answering that question, probably more time than we've got today, but, <laughs> you know, things happen along the way that that spring to mind, like, you know, in terms of we don't want to spend too much time talking about awards because sometimes, you know, that can be very silly and superficial. But if you look at things like 
um, very generalistically speaking, in the Academy Awards, what usually uh, is front and center? It's the dramas, for example, and not the comedies. It's the heavier stuff, more intense stuff than, let's say, the lighter stuff. We society in, in society, we have kind of devised this this box, this frame as to you know what is more uh, worthy of um, I don't know award or attention, um, and that can be very superficial. There's so many different ways to express ourselves, and there are so many different ways to just be a person and and we all feel so many of the same emotions and this is what's so interesting because as human beings we we've got the human condition that puts us in this place that feels uh, um, love and anger and anxiety and worries about our future and hope which is such a big that's the thing I love the most about the human condition all these things that we feel but we all express them differently. There's another quote that I love uh, from the cinematic world, which is from Tarkovsky, who said, um, a book read by a thousand different people is a thousand different books. And um, I love that quote. And that's really what helps me uh, in terms of my own music, because the way in which I express myself is going to be... Uh, it's very natural. I allow myself to feel exactly how it is that I want to feel. And people will it will resonate with people in different sort of ways. Some people will feel the hope. Some people will feel the sadness. I've, I've heard people talk about, especially with the songs between Jim and Ish, there's that, that ambiguity in the emotion of the songs. Sometimes people see them as very hopeful and okay and fun and funny. And other people see them as downright, you know, melancholic. And there's so many different ways to feel these things. So, you know, you can't really pay too much attention to the outside world when you're, expressing yourself when you're creating and you just have to go with what feels right and good to you. And that's what I do. And I am, you know, allowing myself to just be this emotional, this intense about my emotion, but you know, I just can't, I can't shout it. You know, for me, I love my stories that allow me just to, to sing in more of a dialogue sort of a way. But does that emotion intensify? Does that process that you, you talked about there intensify in, uh, a setting like the piano vocal duo format, which uh, we should also mention the pianist on this record is Art Irehara. Uh, he's uh, wonderful on this record. But yeah, I mean, does that, is there something about that uh, duo uh, setting uh, that uh, kind of brings emotions to the fore a bit more? Uh, in a short answer, absolutely. I felt this was really intense between the two of us. Yeah, and uh, I'll chip in as well, just from a sort of technical and production side of things that one of the one of the incredible things about Stacy's voice is the is the detail of the nuance um in how she sings and and in a sense ironically the you know the less there is going on around her the more evident it's not ironic it's it's obvious that the less there is going on around her um, the more apparent is that nuance and and so being able to hear the every detail of every note and every word in a sort of very pared down setting like this actually brings that kind of emotional quality of Stacy's singing to the fore so it's not there isn't 
There isn't any emoting that goes on, but the emotion communicates it communicates itself much more vividly in these kinds of settings. I think that's why we connect so well with Ishiguro too. For anybody who's read his novels um, or heard him speak about it, uh, he writes for me uh, very much in that way, and he writes his own novels very much in that way. There's always this undercurrent. It's there. It's powerful but it's not screaming at the top of its lungs. Uh, and um, he, he makes references to this too in the music that he, because he's, he's a big music lover and a player as well. He plays great guitar. Gravitates towards those things that don't just blatantly uh, spell it out for you, but it's it's there. It's more oblique again. Well, uh, Stacy, Jim, uh, we uh, have pretty much run out of time. I, I just noticed, I just realized that uh, we've been talking for over a half an hour, which is incredible. But it was so fascinating, really. It's been such a fascinating conversation. And I thank you very much for joining us and talking uh, with us about uh, your, your new album, uh, your latest album, Songs from Other Places. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Au rivage lointain, aux rêves incertains, que c'est beau les voyages qui effacent au loin nos larmes et nos chagrins. Mon Dieu, ah les voyages, comment vous fûtes sage de nous donner. Ces images Gale voyage. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Stacy Kent and Jim Tomlinson. Their new album, Songs from Other Places, featuring pianist Art Hirihara, is available now. And I hope you will join me again next week for more globe charting conversations with or about great music artists. In the meantime, why not check out more of our content on jazzis.com? That's our regularly updated website with lots of great content for both the jazz newbies and the aficionados. Till the next time, this is Matt Mikucci signing off. See you soon. Sachez bien profiter de vos 20 ans Le monde est là Ne craignez rien Il n'est pas méchant, il vous guidera.